Hi guys. Bienvenidos and welcome to the Latino card. I'm Rebecca De Leon. I'm Nicole Foy and JJ is not here with us today. So you're going to have to just listen to me and Rebecca, but oh, don't man. worry. We'll be nice. JJ isn't here to calm us down. So we'll be We'll be okay, but um, <laughs> we are recording here in the Radio Boise studios, and we are so excited to have two guests with us today. We have Sanai Alvarez, the communications specialist for the Community Council of Idaho, and we have Dr. Alicia Garza, professor of Mexican-American literature and culture at Boise State University. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting <laughs> us. So the reason why we have um, both Sanai and um, Alicia with us today is because we want to talk about um, farm workers in Idaho. And of course, one of the big reasons that we want to talk about this topic today is something that's been in the news um, a lot um, this past couple of weeks. Um, Twelve farm workers um, were seriously, I think, injured is the right way to say it. They became seriously ill um, based on what is uh, the Department of Ag is investigating as um, possibly pesticides um, in a field near Wilder. Um, they had to be decontaminated. The Cobble Fire Department came out there, and everyone was sent to the hospital, and it was pretty serious. Um, there's not a lot of information yet, uh, but it was something that I think shook the community a lot. And Sanai, you you work for the Community Council of Idaho, and so can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do and, and, and what you've been hearing? Yeah, no, it was a very unfortunate incident, and especially for the council where we advocate for farm workers um, with our hearts, <laughs> you know. Um, so we don't know too much, just kind of what's been reported. One individual, I'm pretty sure, stayed in the hospital. The rest were released. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're saying that it'll come out with more details. The investigation will be complete in uh, the end of June. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, when incidents do happen, uh, people do trust our staff at the council. Uh, We don't report incidents. We we, uh, work very closely with the Department of Labor. Mm -hmm. And so we send people over there or we'll have the Department of Labor do the investigations Mm -hmm. um, on their behalf. But because people trust us, they'll let us know certain things that are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, we more do things like provide monetary assistance. Mm -hmm. So medical bills will help with that. We'll help with rental assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, We do a lot of collecting donations, clothing items, food items. We'll go out to the farms and give them out. And oh my gosh, the farmers are just so appreciative. But yeah, to answer your question, community council, we're there for farm workers Mm -hmm. in the capacity that we are able to. Yeah. And so farm workers is a very general term, but mm-hmm. that covers, I mean, Idaho, Idaho's agricultural industry is obviously huge. It's um, yeah. it's one of our biggest money makers in this state. People work in across industries. So tell us a little bit about what what's the state of farm workers in Idaho? Where do they work? And what types of groups does the community council work with? Yeah, it is extremely broad. A lot of people, when they think farm workers, they relate it to field work, mm-hmm. um, but it's meatpacking plants. Um, it could be at actual landscaping, um, nursing when they're actually working to plant trees or flowers, uh, dairy, harvesting of any sort. Oh, man, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. It's very, very broad. So, Sane, I, I have a question about what are some of the biggest challenges that farm workers across all of the media, like all of the areas that you just mentioned, um, especially if they are um, immigrants, what are their biggest challenges? Because, I mean, clearly safety is an issue, is that their number one issue or do they have 
other concerns um, that might even be more prevalent than that? So something that is pretty common um, because of status, sometimes uh, there's this fear of reporting incidents. Um, I think there needs to be also education on making sure that they're being paid what they're supposed to. Um, you know, just calculating hours worked or, you know, however that's done to ensure that they're getting the correct amount. Um, and, I mean, there's also adequate housing. Um, the standards need to be, you know, to a certain par. And also, I mean, with H-2A workers, uh, that's a whole nother realm also. You know, they come with so many restrictions, um, right. limited English, limited even clothing. Uh, and just to interject, like for, for listeners who aren't aware of what H-2A workers are, it's a special visa mm -hmm. that's a temp it's a call. It's a temporary um, agricultural visa. And so people come in usually for depends, but it's usually an eight to nine month period. And um, you're just here to work. And then you go home. You don't get to bring your family with you. Um, sometimes the same workers return year after year, but um, you're not here. Like it places you no further up the scale on like because you had an H-2A visa, you now get to move up the line and maybe become a permanent resident. No, it's a, it's a specific type of visa entirely for um, just a work. It's just a, a short term work permit here. And that's a that's a, that's a visa use that's growing a lot in Idaho. You were just telling me the other day, Sanai, that every time you go out there, you see more oh, H-2A yes. workers than just, you know, domestic farm workers who mm -hmm. are from this country. Or, yeah. yeah. There's truckloads. <laughs> yeah. So something that people need to realize is that the reason that we're hiring H-2A workers is because two factors go into having workers is they need to be willing and able. And so because we don't have the two, we are experiencing a shortage. So yeah, people are resorting to bringing people here from different countries. So and then I want to bring it back to, you know, this incident that, you know, it had a really big impact on the community. I mean, I know I had personally a lot of people reaching out to me asking, do you know what's ha what happened here? You know, like, when are we going to find information? When are we going to find out who was hurt? And something that maybe not a lot of people are aware of, and maybe, um, Alicia, you can speak to, is this is not the first time something like this has happened. And actually, there was a similar incident in 2005. Is that yes, correct? Can that's you, correct. Can you tell us about this? Well, in 2005, an onion field outside of Caldwell got sprayed. And um, I think it got sprayed in the evening, and then the next day at 6 o'clock in the morning or so, um, people went out to, to hoe, and within four hours they, were, they became ill, and they had to call hazmat to, to come and decontaminate them. What was the, the impact on the community when that happened? Well, on the Latino community, it was, we were just horrified by this because there are so many people, and we know this happens. Uh, my parents were farm workers. Uh, I never picked in the field, but we, in the area where I live, I'm from Yuma, Arizona, um, we live right next to a lettuce field, so we, we caught all the spray, and it's, uh, we, we know what it's like. We, luckily for us, we never got ill, but some of the women who lived in the neighborhood weren't able to carry children to term yeah. for several years, until the farmer sold the lettuce field and his children didn't want to continue farming. So they turned the lettuce field into a, um, 
a trailer court for winter visitors. But this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. It's it, and and people are exposed to pesticides all of the time. Well, and and do you remember um, back? So like, there's a lot of secrecy surrounding what's happening now. Of course, there is still an, a pending investigation, but that makes sense. And so that makes sense. But when this happened in 2005, did people ever get answers? Do you like? Do, what do you remember about like what people got to learn about what happened to these farm workers and and who was at fault? Well, where we got answers were from people themselves who were related to individuals who were hospitalized. That's where we got the most answers: how they were treated mm -hmm. when the, they were, you know, when they bathed them for the, to take try to ta attempt to take the pesticides off, and they were hospitalized. But so that's who you knew. Mm -hmm. But you, we didn't know what we didn't come to learn about any of the the contaminants or pesticides until this report was written in 2013. Who, who wrote the report? It's by um, it's farmworkerjustice.org. They have a report, and it's, uh, it's titled Exposed and Ignored, How Pesticides Are Endangering Our Nation's Farm Workers. And the incident that took place in Caldwell in 2005 is described here, and it talks about the pesticides that were used. There are three of them, and one of them is, you know, is one of the most dangerous ones. So it was then when we found out what, what exactly was used. And like right now, too, the, the, we, I don't think there's been any information on mm -hmm. what the field was sprayed with. Mm -hmm. There's a lot yeah. of you know, mystery around this. So you're saying from 2005 to 2013, the community never learned what really happened? I, I, I can't speak to yeah. that, really. But, you know, people knew that people became very sick and they were hospitalized and mm -hmm. couldn't go back to work. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were affected for months afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting because the first time that I heard about this incident was actually not, you know, this most recent incident happened in Wilder. It was actually when I read the Nuestros Corridos book, which was put together by a, a bunch of local Latinos and Ana Maria Chactel. And so actually you wrote a corrido, which maybe you can explain for us what that mean, what, what that is. But you wrote a, a corrido about this 2005 incident. So, yeah, can you talk about that? <laughs> sure. Um, first of all, uh, a corrido. A corrido is a Mexican ballad, and they started... I mean, during the colonial period, and um, their origin is from Spain, from the romance, from um, um, where in Spain people would, you know, they didn't read, so what they would do, they would sing the news and sing about events and sing about princesses and castles, and they bring the tradition over to to Latin America and to Mexico, and mm -hmm. so to Mexico, and that's how Mexicans kept track of historical events because. When the Spaniards came, they didn't allow people to learn how to read and write. Mm. And so they, they sang their, their you know, important um, events or aspects of their community, and that's how they got to record history. The earliest corrido was written in the 16th century, and it talked about this uh, woman. It's called La Delgadina, and it's about a young woman whose father was, uh, was uh, molesting her, sexually oh, wow. molesting her. And then um, Corrido, there, there were all sorts of different songs, but when they, when they really took off was during, uh, right after the Wars of Independence, people wrote songs about the different battles 
1848, when, during the war between Mexico and the United States, 1910, the Mexican Revolution, and now we have the contemporary cor corridos mm -hmm. that are about everything and everybody, like um, Barack Obama mm -hmm. to uh, narcotraficantes. <laughs> I so, want to hear the Barack Obama quote. <laughs> yeah, there's about four of them. They're great. They're on YouTube. Sounds they're they're awesome. amazing. So so we, we like to set, uh, write about our gente, uh, and this... Uh, and Anna Chattel invited me to contribute to the to to this project, and and this is what I thought about to write a corrido mm -hmm. to to remember these individuals, and because they remind me of my parents, they remind me of people I see all the time, they remind me of my students. So I felt it was necessary to record their history mm -hmm. and about the injustice they suffered. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wrote this corrido. Can you read it for us? Do you sure. have it on your phone? Before you read it, I have one more quick question. Yes. Is it hard to write a corrido? Could somebody as untalented as myself do such a thing? Yeah, you could write a corrido. Are I, you sure? I, yes, I am. You know what? The corridos come from the heart. And oh. that's how this one comes. And I, and I hear it. And my this Sandoval sings it. And it almost brings me to tears every time I hear it. Oh. Uh, I mean, I, I don't listen to it very often. But it just... She has a voice, and, and she sings it with ganas. So if you have ganas, the desire to write something, something, you know, moves you, you can write it. And then just show it to somebody who knows how to write them, and they can kind of fix it for you. My mm -hmm. corrido, uh, um, I had a couple people write, re read it and kind of fix it up. But there, there's a, to the, for the traditional ones, there's a structure. Each verse has eight syllables. There's an introduction with a permission to sing. And then you give the, the dates, the names, the incident. And then at the end, you end your corrido thanking your public and saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. So mine's a little traditional like that. Mm -hmm. I, I love those. I'm old-fashioned with corridos. And I, I've studied them. I've researched them a bit. And I, I, I love them because my father used to listen to them all the time. And he always used to listen to very interesting ones. Mm -hmm. So that's where I got hooked on them. Yeah. So... Can you? So this is going to be in Spanish. Okay. So, do you um, do you want to explain a little bit before you read it in Spanish? Just kind of like what what it's about. Uh, okay. Um, it's um, well, it's about it. It talks about the the pesticide poisoning of these people, and um, the the first stanza. I ask permission if I can sing this corrido about a cruel man who who didn't, you know, wasn't, com was irresponsible. And the year was 2005, at the beginning of July in our beautiful Idaho. This is just a summary. Mm -hmm. And he sprayed a field of um, onions, and he didn't tell anybody about this. And the, the field was saturated, and he caused a, a lot of people pain. The next day, uh, when people came to pick, after a few hours, they began to get very ill. Uh, 29 um, workers were taken to the hospital, and they got sick. This is why they got sick. So uh, a judge uh, um, finds him and the grower because of these, you know, for taking such a huge risk with so many lives. But the, the fine is nothing. It doesn't bring back these people's health. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I just want to underscore injustice with this and you know, to just kind of show people I care a lot about them. These are my gente, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So here's a, here's a corrido. Con su permiso, señores, les cantaré un corrido 
acerca de un hombre cruel y para nada cumplido. 2005 es el año, fue cuando esto ocurrió, a los principios de julio, en nuestro bello Airajó. Fumigón fil de cebolla, un piloto con su avión, y sin decir nada a nadie, él cometió su traición. La labor con pesticidas, saturada de veneno, piloto irresponsable por causar dolor ajeno. Temprano al día siguiente, la gente llegó a piscar y después al poco tiempo se empezaron a enfermar. Veintinueve mexicanos al hospital los llevaron, pesticidas peligrosos, la razón que se enfermaron. Un juez al piloto multa por arriesgar tantas vidas de gente trabajadora con tóxicos pesticidas. Piloto irresponsable, la vida no tiene precio. Esta multita no paga por mi gente que aprecio. So when you hear that, and you read that, when you wrote specifically about this incident, and you see this happening again, what, what's your response? Uh, it's, a, it's a blend, or it's a, I, I'm infuriated. I'm infuriated that, that people don't get answers, they don't get justice, they don't get paid what they're supposed to, and they get taken advantage. And then at the same time, my heart just shatters for every individual who's affected by, by the, this, the, this poisonous environment. And you can hear that in the lyrics. You can feel the sadness. You can hear the anger. Um, but it's, it's still poetic. I mean, it definitely, it reads like a poem. Um, but you can feel all of those feelings in there. And when I was listening to it, it you know, I just really felt for those workers Um, it made me really see them as people, and it also made me see them as people within our community, which is also important. Like they, yeah, they're just people, but they are also our people, and they're they're important. And I I thought it was amazing. Thank you Very so powerful. much. Well, and and maybe both of you guys can weigh in on this. I mean, obviously, this is something that um, the Latino community here in Idaho has always cared deeply about you know, caring about the health and safety of, you know, mostly because we know people who, who are involved in this, of, of the people who are picking our food. Um, do you think things have changed since 2005? I mean, it's been now, what, more than a decade? Do you think that the greater Idaho community cares or is aware? Yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, from the response we get from the community, it's really good. But there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, they deserve so much more. They are loving people. They are caring people. They provide all of us with our food. Since I've been doing this work, the response we get from the community and how they want to help mm. and contribute, it's always very positive. Yeah. I think there's been a, ra a rise in awareness. I agree with Samai that, you know, little by little, but there's a lot of work to, left to be done. A lot of work. Do you remember what ha you know what exactly happened with um, the pilot in 2005? Uh, he was fined. Mm. He a judge fined him and the grower, and I believe maybe the contractor, fifty thousand dollars. This report that I mentioned earlier says forty thousand dollars. So I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was for like all three of them together. Yes. So they were like each fined fifty. I'm not too oh, sure. Yeah. But I'm so there was sure. a fine levied, but fine. there was no prison time, no jail time. Not that I know of. Yeah. 
Yeah. I That's mean, frustrating. Two people were in critical condition. It's a tough one because with an incident like this, obviously the workers are going to try to get at least their medical paid for, right? But there's other incidents where, I mean, sometimes they just don't know their rights. That's right. And the language barrier, all of that. So it's right. going to organizations like community council where they know that they could trust. I mean, really, we have family service advocates who their main job is just, just to make sure they're getting what they need, whether it's food, clothes, or, you know, the resource to go to the Department of Labor to file that complaint. Um, so just having those authentic connections with organizations to know, okay, what can I do? This is what happened. And even if it's just, oh, my gosh, I had a really rough day. This is what happened. Wait a second. That's not right. Here's what you can do. Here's the steps you could take. So that's a really big thing. And so just knowing where to go. And I'm so glad that the Community Council of Idaho provides those necessary services. And even, you know, just kind of like a shoulder to cry on or somebody to hear them. I think is undervalued, it's still incredibly important. And so it's really nice that they do trust the workers at the Community Council of Idaho to provide that for them. But I still think that, like, since I'm allowed to have an opinion on this podcast, I think that we should call for more. That's what Cesar Chavez was essentially, you know, fighting for back in his day. And, you know, it's Dolores Huerta is, is continuing a lot of that work, of course. But he was just fighting for... um you know, let's have a place where they can go to the bathroom in the middle of the day mm -hmm. for these farm workers. And I think when he passed on, the, the work continued, but it, it lost a little bit of momentum. And I think that what we really could use right now and what I kind of hope is a byproduct of this terrible situation is that we get that passion again of like, you know what, this isn't right. Well, thank you to both of you guys for coming on the podcast today. Um, you were illuminating and we really appreciate a chance to share with our listeners just kind of what, you know, first of all, this ongoing investigation, as well as just um, what a lot of farm workers here in Idaho who are picking our food and helping our state have a strong economy um, are going through. So thank you so much. Well, thank, yes. you. thank you very yeah. much. Thank you, Nicole and Rebecca. <laughs> and so that is it for us today. Um, make sure, as always, that you can follow us on Twitter at The Latino Card. You can follow both myself and JJ, who's not here, and Rebecca. We all have our personal Twitters and are usually yelling at each other on there. And if you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts, please email us at latinocardidaho at gmail.com. You can also just set our DMs are open at, at The Latino Card. You can just send us a DM. If you want questions, you have ideas, we want to hear them. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.